Does that sound like your house at all? Probably not. Other people's houses, but no one in here. But I hope you're having a great day. This is a really, really good, beautiful day outside. I know yesterday several of us were out and about. We were putting some door hangers. If you showed up to your house and you had a door hanger inviting you to the church you already come to, if you can put it on somebody else's door. We were out yesterday inviting people to Easter, and it's just a beautiful weekend. I hope that you're enjoying. I know this is spring break for our students and so hopefully you're going to have a good time. This next week, as you know, uh, is Easter Sunday. And so on Easter here at City Walk, we're going to have a couple services. We're going to have a service at 9 o'clock, and then we'll have a service at 1045. And so if you show up for the normal 1030 service, you'll just be early to the 1045. But we're going to provide both those services. And I want to encourage you, as we've talked about for the last few weeks, to invite somebody to come with you. Uh, Back in the lobby, you'll see a table that has, we have a few yard signs left. We have some door hangers, some invite cards. Pick some up on your way out today and use them to just really take 30 seconds of courage and invite somebody to come with you uh, to church. And and literally, 30 seconds of courage could change somebody, uh, really their eternity. And God might use you. And so a great way to do that uh, is just inviting them. Also, next uh, Saturday night, uh, if you're available and you'd like to be a part, uh, we usually set up on Sunday morning here. We get here at 7 and set up. But on Easter weekend, since we're doing two services, we're going to actually set up at 5 o'clock on Saturday evening. And so if you're wondering, wondering how, how does this thing all come together and you want to be a part of that, you can just show up here at 5 and we're going to uh, set up and get ready. And then at 7.30, we're going to have a prayer time where we take about a half an hour and pray over this room and the kids' rooms and just ask God to do a great work in people's lives. And so if you can just come for the 7.30 prayer, uh, we'd love to have you for that as well. Uh, you guys know if you've been here, we've been a, a, in a series called Bless This Home. And one of the things that uh, makes a home uh, blessed or has a huge effect on a home, and you guys know this, is how you handle conflict. How, how you handle conflict in your home and, and conflict and how you handle it have a huge effect on everyone in the home and really the culture of the home. And whether your home is happy and blessed probably has something to do with how much conflict is in your home and how you handle it. Uh, I grew up in a home where uh, I was the oldest of three boys, and uh, we were all two years apart, and we, had, uh, we got into some scuffles. Uh, my younger two would usually get into the uh, physical scuffles. I wouldn't usually get into fights with them because they were my younger brothers, but I was just a jerk with my words to them. And, and, I had, and maybe you had this type of mom, or maybe you are this type of mom. I had the type of mom that when there was a conflict in the family, she wasn't real passive about those conflicts. If some of you have met my mom, she was the type that when there was a conflict, she jumped right in the conflict, and it wasn't about just, hey, let's push it under the rug. It was about, mama's coming to the middle of it, and we're going to get this thing taken care of. And she would do some things when we would get in fights as, as brothers, and she would do some things that I remember marked my memory and why we stopped getting in fights. That some of the times what she would do is she would, when we would get in fights, she, this is back when there was record players. Some of you don't even know what that is. Uh, and she had these sappy, like, re- records with some sappy songs about, 
like your brother's dying early. And so if we would get into a fight, she'd say, sit down. You don't know how long you have with each other. And she'd, you sit down and I, I want, you're not getting up till I see a tear in your eye from this song. And we'd have to, we'd have to, you know, listen to the song and like, are you serious? And then the worst thing, this was the absolute worst. I mean, think about boys that, I mean, just think about little boys, 10, 11, 12 years old. The worst thing she would do when we would get into conflict is she'd say, all right, kiss each other. No, 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 not on the cheek. Like, kiss each other on the lips. Like, are you, mom, we, we're going to call somebody about this. But I don't get, you call somebody. And she would give us the phone. Go ahead and call somebody. But she would, you, you kiss your brother. And so you can see how my mom, she was not the type to just like, oh, let's just push it under the rug. It'll go away. She dove into it. If something were to happen at school, she wasn't a passive mom where, hey, we'll let the school kind of take care of it. If something happened at school, mom was at school before you even knew something happened. My brother Brent, my youngest brother, uh, he was kind of the, the, the rough one of our bunch. Uh, the youngest, you got to watch the youngest ones, and, and he was that one for us. And I remember in, when he was in eighth grade, he got into some issues at school in his, I believe it was his math class. And so my mom said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to his math class. And so my brother Brent shows up in eighth grade. Think about it. Being a middle schooler, you're already extremely insecure. My mom is sitting in his desk when he enters his math class. And all his friends are laughing at him when he comes in. He doesn't know why. And then he looks and sees. And my mom sat with him the whole class in eighth grade. And then she walked with him through the halls, breaking up couples that were making out, telling him, I'm going to send you to the office as my brother Brent's. And so my mom, that you, you can kind of know a little bit about me because that's how, man, I grew up in a home that that's how things were handled. And mom, if there was an awkward conversation that needed to be had or something that needed to be dealt with, she dove right into it and, and she was not afraid to do that. And so that's kind of the home I grew up in. But, but as you think back at your home, and maybe you're, you're a student and you're still in that home, how did your family handle conflict? How, think about, think back, maybe you're a grandma now, maybe you're a mom or dad now, maybe you're, you're single and you're, you're out of the house, or maybe you're a son or daughter and you're in the house now. Like, how is conflict handled at your home? Is your home, did you have a mom like my mom that, man, she, like, if there was an issue, she was going to dive into it? And, and how did, how it was handled at your home, how has that affected how you handle conflict? So you grew up in a home, if you're older, man, you grew up in a home and there was a certain way and everybody in the family, it was kind of the unwritten way that we handle conflict in our family. Everybody knew it. And it affected you, and now maybe you're a parent, or you're out on your own, and now you, you find yourself handling maybe some conflict, maybe in a very similar way. So how do you handle conflict? The way we handle conflict in our home has a huge impact on everyone involved, both good and bad, and we all know that. A few weeks ago, we asked ourselves this question, does God want us to have a blessed home? Like, is it even part of what God wants for us to have a home that's blessed? Whether we're the mom, the dad, the grandma, the son or daughter, no matter what role we play, no matter what season of life we're in, does God want us to have a home that's blessed? No matter kind of what your religious background is, whether you're somebody that, <coughs> that's been following Jesus for a long time, <coughs> the, the day I don't bring water up here with me, uh, the, or, or you're the type of person that 
is maybe you're skeptical of faith. Really doesn't matter where you kind of grew up or what, where your faith background is. Every single one of us wants to have a home and be part of a home that's blessed, that's happy. No one sets out to say, hey, I want to be the reason our family's a train wreck. That's my goal. Everybody wants to be a part of a home that's blessed. Everyone wants to be a part of a home that's happy. And one thing we could all agree on, no matter what role you play in the home, is, is this. A blessed home is a peaceful home. A, a home that is blessed is a home where you can come to that home and it's a home that's peaceful, that's safe. Whether everything in the world's going crazy, you know that, man, this is the place there's going to be peace. This is the place that's going to be safe. A home that's blessed is a home that's known for peace. And one thing that we've looked at is we've thought of, man, what does this look like to have a home that's blessed, to have a home that's happy? We've looked over the past few weeks at a passage of Scripture known to people that are religious, known to people in literature, known to people in history because it's had an effect on all those areas. It's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And it was written by a, a guy, there was a couple guys that wrote, wrote it down, but Matthew's the, the guy that we've been looking at. And Matthew wrote down some things that Jesus said that we know now from 2,000 years ago, we called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus gives us some, some very big and, and really, uh, to that, in that day, different insights onto how and what it looks like to really be blessed. To really have a life and a home that's blessed. And as you look at this today, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. When Jesus said these words that we're going to look at, that to these people, turn their world upside down. They had never heard this. When Jesus said these things, he was very early on in his ministry. And he had just, he was about 30 years old and he was just getting started. He was becoming known. He had just spent 40 days praying and fasting and had begun to gather his disciples. And, and people were beginning to follow Jesus. I mean, people, everywhere he went, people were following him. He was teaching things that they had never heard of. He was healing people. And so all of a sudden, this guy that was an unknown began to have every single place he went, he began to be followed by tons of people. He was famous in that day. And then one day, as the crowds had been following him and, and he had been healing, he gathers his kind of closest guys, his disciples, and he brings them up kind of on a mountainside and he sits down and he begins to teach them things about a new way of life in a new kingdom that they had never heard of. And the things that he began to teach them went against a lot of the things that they had grown up learning. And as he began to teach them in Matthew chapter 5, he even, even with the words he began his phrases with, he began to draw these people in because he began his teaching with words like this, blessed are. And this word blessed is a word, and we, we've talked about this in the last couple of weeks. It's a word that comes from a Latin word, and it, and it means simply this. It means divine joy and perfect happiness. And so for these people, think about it. Jesus is, I mean, thousands of people are following him. 
And he pulls away from the thousands and he gathers his closest. He sits down and he just sits down. I mean, maybe he puts the Mr. Rogers sweater on. I don't know, changes the shoes like Mr. It's like time with Jesus. And, and he sits down with them and he says, blessed are. And this, this word blessed was something that only people that were, no, that were like gods, this was even available to. This divine happiness was not even something that was available to a normal person. And so when Jesus said blessed are, they leaned in. And, and this, this word blessed, I said this last week if you were here, it implied an inner satisfaction that did not depend on outward circumstances. And so when Jesus started these phrases with blessed are, these people leaned in. You probably had some teachers in, in high school, middle school, that when you went into their class, you automatically leaned in because, man, you, you were intrigued with what they were talking about. They, they engaged your mind, but then there was other teachers like you, your lean in was like, put your head down on the desk. That was the, how you leaned in. Well, Jesus was teaching things these people had never heard. And so they leaned in and he says this, and we're going to look at Matthew 5, 9. He says this, he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. This word peacemaker was, was a word that was only used in this place in the entire New Testament. And what's interesting is Jesus didn't call his listeners to be peacekeepers. He called them to be peacemakers. And so as he's sitting down with these guys, he says, blessed are the peacemakers makers. Blessed are the people that will on purpose enter conflict and overcome evil with good. Blessed are those types of people that will not pretend that there's not conflict, that will not avoid conflict, but will go into the uncomfortable and they will overcome the evil and the conflict with good, the way Jesus would. And he says, those types of people, they are blessed. Those people are, are the people that have that divine happiness that doesn't, isn't determined by what's going on on the outside. These people that help make peace are people that will be blessed. I wrote this in my notes. The peacemaker seeks to reconcile, not by pretending there aren't differences or suppressing them, but by creating love of the other that transcends differences or that permits the people to join hands in spite of differences. And Jesus was calling these people to something that honestly they didn't want to be called to. In fact, as some of them were probably leaning in towards this, there were others of them that were like, I, I did not sign up for progress through peace. That's not what I signed up for. Because Rome kind of had its fist on Israel at this point. They, it was occupying their land. It was taxing them in ridiculous ways. It had messed with their way of life and even their religious systems. And so there was a group of people that said, you know what? They were giving the middle finger to Rome. And they said, you know what? We don't want to deal with Rome. We don't want to go forward with peace. We want to go forward with, with a sword. And, and that's what we've signed up for. And there was an actual group called the Zealots. And their, their whole idea of peace was peace through force. And Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. 
See, these, these people that, that did not like what Jesus was saying, they were looking at Jesus, and here's what they were thinking. Man, this guy's popular. This guy has the crowd following him. He's got a lot of influence. And so, man, they're, they're signing up like, this is the guy. Like, he's going he's gonna to give it to Rome. He's going to gain our freedom back. And then he says stupid things like, blessed are the peacemakers? And so there as many people as were leaning in, there was other people like, I don't know if I like what he's saying. But then he says this, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. See, for them, these people had grown up in a religious system of law that looked a lot like slavery. And so to be, be, be talked about in a framework of being a son or a daughter that would have all the rights and privileges of a son or daughter. This was, this was something they had not heard of. And so Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This word sons was a, a, a word that was used for adoption and inheritance law in the first century. And so they were, they were hearing Jesus say, man, people that make peace are a lot like God. They act like they are sons of God. It's like when, when somebody looks at you and says, hey, man, you're just like your mom. When you said that, man, you reminded me of your dad. If you were to ever meet my dad, and some of you have, and maybe you will in the future, he'll visit at, at, at different times. My dad's one of the most optimistic, encouraging, generous people that I, that I know. And so if you were to come up to me and say, hey, Chris, you remind me a lot of your dad, that would be a high compliment to me. And, and as what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, you know what? Blessed are the peacemakers because they, they look a lot like their dad. They're, they're acting just like a son of God. They're doing exactly what God would do when they step into and they step into conflict and they make peace by overcoming evil with good. And, and what's interesting is this: these people that were listening to Jesus, these the people that were that didn't understand totally what he was saying, there was no way just in their minds that they could understand the ramifications of what Jesus was saying to them. He was saying, hey, blessed are those that enter conflict and overcome conflict with good. Those types of people, they, they look a lot like God. And just a few years later, Jesus would give them the ultimate example of someone that would step into a conflict between God and man and not just step into the conflict, but would take care of the conflict by sacrificing himself. He would be the ultimate peacemaker. And he's saying, blessed are those who follow my example. Blessed are those who come not with a sword, but come with good because they will look a lot like God. Blessed are those who are peacemakers. And, and Jesus, because of what he did, he, he would enter, as I mentioned, he would enter a conflict and these people, they had no clue. They're just listening to a dude that has a really big following and he's saying some things they've never heard of. 
And some of them don't like what he's saying and this blessed are the peacemaker stuff and blessed are the pure in heart stuff. And so they're leaning in a little bit. But man, they were all good with this because man, he, this was the thing. He had the following. He just got voted in. I mean, he's the guy. But little did they know just a few years later, this Jesus who had this huge following would make peace with God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus would enter the greatest conflict in history and he would sacrifice himself to be the ultimate peacemaker. And he would do it not for himself, he would do it for the world. See, Jesus' example showed us that selfishness and peace cannot coexist. I, I wrote this in my note, notes. When selfishness walks in the door, peace heads out the back. And, and think about it. Jesus, as, he, as he's talking to these people, he's saying, blessed are the peacemakers for, for they will be called sons of God. He's saying, you know what? Those that enter conflict, that leave their, their own rights, their own privileges, their own safety to enter conflict and unselfishly overcome evil with good, those are the peacemakers. But you can't do that and be selfish at the same time. In fact, Jesus' brother James, think, think about this. Think about being Jesus' brother. You might think, oh, that'd be kind of cool. Maybe I could get him to do a little extra miracle for me one day, make the allowance a little bigger than what I really got, kind of double up my allowance, just do some magic for me. But, but think about this. Think about growing up with a brother who is perfect. Like, you're just trying to get him in trouble. You're just trying to make him say a cuss word at some point. Like, just do something bad. Man, you're, you're poking at him. You're trying to get him to, to, to just, man, be normal. See, James had a front row seat of, uh, on Jesus' life, and so he understood maybe better than anybody what it must have looked like to be someone that was unselfish and how Jesus' unselfishness, always giving of himself, brought so much good. James says it this way in, in his writings in James chapter 3, verse 16. He says this, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So James, the guy that watched his brother up close, his brother who would become the ultimate peacemaker, he, he watched his brother and honestly didn't buy into what his brother had to say until after he saw his brother resurrect from the dead. And now he's saying the same things that Jesus is saying. He's talking about the importance of making peace and how that is what righteousness looks like. See, here, here's what I know. The impact of our view and response to conflict will outlive us. Some of us in here, you are dealing with things in your life today because someone a generation ago chose selfishness over peacemaking. Right? 
And for some of you, say, man, it wasn't even a generation ago. Man, we can go back a couple generations, and there's literally things that happened generations ago that people I never even met, but because they did not, they were not peacemakers, they were, they were people that allowed selfishness to lead. They did not follow Jesus' example. We're dealing with literally generations later things that they did not deal with the right way. And so our view and our response to conflict, as much as we might think, oh, it's not that big of a deal, can literally affect generations to come. Whether you're the son, the daughter in the family, whether you're the single mom, whether you're the grandma, our response and view of conflict is really important that we think through it. And so, so the question that leads us to is, how do you view conflict? There's, there's different ways that we view it. For some of us, maybe you're afraid of conflict. And so for you, man, when conflict comes, you, you shut things down. Like if something's starting to, you're starting to feel some conflict, you're afraid of it, and so you shut down. Maybe you're the type that, that for you, you're not really afraid of it, it just bothers you, it inconveniences you. And so for you, when there's conflict, it kind of bothers you, and so you do everything you can just to get it out of your life because it's just an inconvenience to your progress. For some, maybe, it's, maybe you take it personal. Maybe, man, if there's a conflict, maybe you have some, some people that you know that, man, they just get angry. They take everything personal. If there's any type of conflict, they, they take, and that's how they, they kind of view conflict through the lens of it's all against me. How do you view conflict? And then the second question that leads us to is, if you view conflict in a certain way, how do you, what's your practice for dealing with it? How do you deal with it? What's like the, the way you do it at your house? Like there's, a, there's an unwritten way that conflict is dealt with. How, how do you deal with conflict? Maybe, maybe you avoid it. You kind of hope it goes away. It's kind of pushed under the rug. And man, by now the rug has like huge humps because there's so much conflict that's been pushed under it over the years. Maybe you avoid it by kind of drinking it away or you have another habit that you use to just kind of avoid even having to think about it. Maybe, maybe you're the type that, that you kind of deal with it by just downplaying it. It's not that big of a deal. You, you, you say, ah, it's not that big of a deal and just kind of try to downplay it until it kind of goes away. Or maybe you're the type that, that in your house you know, and, and so you kind of walk on eggshells. There's somebody in your house that deals with conflict by blowing up. And so you know, man, when it's conflict time, you're starting to walk on eggshells because you know you don't want to set off like the ticking time bomb because something's going to blow up. So how do you, and this is real important because we can all have like a, I hope it's this way in our house, but really, it's really important that we look in the mirror and really look at how it really is. Because when we look in the mirror and pretend that it looks different, we never deal with it. It never gets better, and the next generation has to deal with it. And so, how is it in your home? How is it in the home that you grew up in that maybe has huge effect on you? Because Jesus' word for all of us and what's so awesome is the grace that Jesus gives us. If, if it's been a certain way in your home, it's what's the beautiful thing is that's why Jesus came and dealt with conflict by being a peacemaker so that we could have a fresh start every single day. And so if you're the type that says, man, I'm the person in my home that people have to walk on eggshells around whenever there's conflict, you can be forgiven of that and you can start new because of Jesus. 
And that's a beautiful thing. So there's never a hopeless moment when you have a relationship with Jesus. There's always something new. There's always a fresh start. And Jesus says to all of us, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So if that's true, then probably all of us in here on some level would say, you know what, man, I don't want to be the person in my family that two generations from now, they're still dealing with my stuff because I chose selfishness over being a peacemaker. So if that's true, how do I create a culture of peace in my house? No matter if I'm the son, the daughter, if I'm the dad, the grandpa, the single mom, How do I create a culture of peace? Not a culture of perfection, but a culture where conflict is dealt with in the right way and where peace is made, where we look a lot like Jesus in how we handle conflict. How do I do that? And it comes down to one phrase Jesus just gave us such a perfect example on. And and here's the one phrase. It's not going to impress you at all. But it's a phrase that if every person in our home just got a hold of this, if every person in our workplace just got a hold of this, it would change everything. And it's simply this, live with a posture of humility. How how do I create a culture of peace in my home if I'm the son in the home? I'm not even the parent. Be a person that lives from a posture of humility. How do I create peace in my, in my home if I'm the dad? Live with a posture of humility. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says this. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. A few verses later, it says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then what it does in Philippians, it describes how Jesus left heaven and came to earth to make peace and gave us the ultimate example of putting someone before himself. So how do I create a posture of humility in my home? There's a a few things, and and here's here's something that that you might want to think about. Humility asks what is best for them, not what is easiest for me. If I'm going to be a person that lives from a posture of humility, I have to start asking myself this question, what is best for them, not what is easiest for me? When I ask what's easiest for me, then I'm not living from a posture of humility. I'm trying to get the easy way out. I'm trying to take care of me. Humility asks what is best for them, not as what, what is easiest for me. Humility admits I was wrong and I don't have all the answers. Humility says, you know what? I don't have it all together. I, I was wrong. I, I don't know everything. Humility admits that. But then also, humility's goal is not to win, not to take the easy route, but to make peace. See, humility's goal, it's not to, hey, how can we just like push this under the rug and, and just get this thing taken care of as quick as possible so it's easy on me and it, it kind of it goes away. No, 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 no. Humility doesn't make it easy on them. Humility does what's best for everyone else. 
The goal is not to win. The goal is not to take care of it real quick. The goal is to make peace. So how in my family do, can, can I do, can, can I live from a posture of humility? Imagine. Imagine if everyone in your family at every season and in every role was asking themselves the question, not what's easiest for me, but what's best for them. Imagine if everybody in your family was, was saying, hey, I don't have all the answers. I need to learn from you. I was wrong. Imagine how that would change the game. Imagine if, if humility in your home looked like, hey, not winning an argument, but stepping into an uncomfortable conflict to make peace by bringing love and good to what is evil. Imagine what it would look like. Imagine what your marriage would look like. Imagine what your relationship with your dad or your mom or your kids. Imagine what it would look like if everyone lived from a posture of humility. It would change the game. See, from a posture of humility, what what it could lead us to do is is a couple things. First of all, pray for God's heart and perspective. When, When you come into the situation from a posture of humility... You're coming into that situation and you're able to ask God, hey God, give me your heart and your perspective on this situation. Give me your heart and your perspective on what's going on in my family. I don't want to come in with my agenda and with what makes me look good and what makes it easy for me. God, I want to come into this with the posture of humility asking you to, hey, help me to have your heart and your perspective on this situation. But then secondly, it it allows us then to, when we have God's heart, to engage in conversations that produce Christ-likeness in each person. See, when we don't come with a posture of humility in our home, we avoid conversations. We all do. Because when I'm not putting, I'm not going to enter a a hard conversation if I'm not humble, because it's going to be hard on me. I remember being in a, in a counseling room and Lori and I being in marriage counseling and, and the counselor looking at me and this was like a light bulb moment. He, he said, Chris, because he asked, hey, why don't you talk to your wife about that? Why don't you tell her about that? You know, why haven't you had this conversation? And, and, and here was my answer. Well, I don't, I don't want it to make her upset and I don't want to make it hard on her. And he looked me square in the eye. He said, it is not about her. You're not having that conversation. It's not because you're worried about how hard it's going to be on her. You're worried about because it's hard on her, it's going to make your life hard. And so you're not having that conversation because of your pride, not because you're looking out for your wife. And I remember thinking, all right, yeah, you win. Drop the mic. That's right. That was right on. Because when we don't come to situations from a posture of humility and we don't make peace the way Jesus made peace, we don't handle conflict the way Jesus did, we actually enslave other people. We don't bring freedom. And so as we close this morning, conflict is something, and we've already said it, that literally your view and how you handle conflict has an effect on your life your generation, but we all know will have an effect on generations to come. So how do you handle conflict in your home? How, how is the way you handle conflict impacting the people in your home? Would you be able to say that, hey, the way we handle conflict in our home, no matter what role you play, actually brings blessing to our home? 
Is your home blessed and happy because you handle conflict the right way? And, and if not, are you okay with where, how you're handling conflict, may, where it may lead to? Are you okay with your kids' kids being affected by how we handle conflict today? See, Jesus said it this way. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. Not the peacekeepers. It's, it's a little easier to keep peace but it's really hard to make peace because that means i got to enter conflict and overcome evil with good. And so as we close, let's just bow our heads and close our eyes and just want us to think about your own home. And I want you to just be able to have a, just an honest kind of introspective look into your heart. For some of you, you have been deeply hurt. You might be a grandma yourself, but you are still deeply hurt because of the way conflict was handled in, in your life and the way people handled it even when you were brought up. And, and for some of you, you, you can't even go talk to the person that caused the conflict because they're not even alive anymore. But you understand how deeply the way they handled things has affected you. And, and I would guess that all of us in this room, man, we, we don't want to be sitting somewhere 30 years from now, 40 years from now, or, or when we're long gone and people that we love dearly are still alive. We don't want them sitting in a room having those same thoughts that, you know what, how they handled conflict, how my dad handled conflict, how my brother treated me, it, it has effect on me long after they're gone. What if as a gathering we just decided that, you know what? We want to believe Jesus on this. And we want to follow Jesus' example. Not take the easy way out. Not do what's best for us. But we want to take the route and we want to take it from a posture of humility where we don't avoid conflict, but we step into conflict and overcome evil with good. And yes, it's going to be messy. And yes, it's, it's going to be some hard conversations at times. But when we do that, we look a lot like Jesus. And God's goal for us is that we become more like his son. Even in the uncomfortable ways. Lord, I pray for each of us. Lord, I pray for myself and my wife and my children. Lord, I pray for the families represented here. Lord, I pray for those in this room that are deeply hurt because of how someone did not handle conflict in a way that pleased you in their life. Lord, I, I just pray for them. I know there's scars that are in their heart. There's things that are just deep wounds that they have been feeling for maybe decades. Lord, there may be people in this room that walked away from the church because the church hurt them, because the church didn't handle conflict in a way that was the way you would handle it. And Lord, there may be people that have deep wounds because of the church. Lord, I pray that you would comfort. I pray that you would encourage. And Lord, as we move forward, no matter what role we play in our families, Lord, we know from your word that your word tells us, blessed are the peacemakers. I pray that we would enter conflict with grace and truth 
and humility the way you did. And that, Lord, we would overcome evil with good. And, Lord, that our gathering would be an example of people that walk not from a posture of pride, but from a posture of humility. And, Lord, I pray that a hundred years from now, when people in the next generation talk about the people in this room, I pray that they would remember them as people that were a lot like you. In Jesus' name, amen.